With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. What's up? What's up? We are here. We are live. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. And this is Gamecock Central Live Friday episode. Getting you ready for South Carolina versus Auburn. It's a beautiful day outside in Columbia, South Carolina. And Gamecocks and Tigers will square off tomorrow at noon. And we've got our final thoughts on what I tend to still believe is going to be a very, very close matchup between the South Carolina football team and the Auburn football team. There's nothing that I have learned in the last three days that would make me feel any differently about that. And I think um, it's going to be a fun game to sort of talk about and then to actually see play out Saturday at Williams-Brice Stadium. So got a jam-packed show for you here today. We're actually going to be joined by a special guest. Um, For those of you who are not already familiar with the SEC StatCat on Twitter. I would encourage you all to go follow. It's at SEC underscore StatCat, as you will see in our pre-recorded interview later on. I kept saying SEC StatCat. It's SEC underscore StatCat. Clark Brooks is his real name. And if you're into analytics and stats and all that type stuff, he it's completely over the top. Like There's more on there than you could probably ever consume as far as the SEC goes. But if you're into that stuff, you'll love it. Go to secstatcat.com. We'll be joined by him, I would say, probably about 15 minutes or so. As always, we are brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com. 803-926-1493. That is the home of the game day chair. And Chris Clark can tell you all about the game day chair right now. Yep, going to tell you all about it. So uh, when you're watching the games at home, whatever you're watching, watching the Braves tonight, clinch a World Series trip. Right, Wes? Probably can't get a game here. Probably can't get it in by tonight, I wouldn't imagine. But next year when the Braves win again, you'll want to make sure that you have your game day chair. And check it out. Give those guys a call, 803-926-1493. Go to affordablemedicalusa.com. Search for the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight Technology. Twilight is the lay-flat position in this chair. Super comfortable. Power pillow, lumbar support, tons of room. A really, really comfortable chair to enhance your game watching, your Netflix watching, whatever it may be. Appreciate their support. Make sure you check those guys out. It's almost like you've done that before, Chris. Um, A few times. And, you know, Chris, I I would say as far as any news the last 24 hours or so, the biggest thing we sort of have to talk about is Muschamp call-in show last night, Thursday, final talk as always before the big game says something we already, I, I think, knew and something we had heard um, outside of the, the sort of public media settings is that 
Keir Thomas is back. He's going to play this week. Jalen Dickerson is back. He's going to play this week. Muschamp confirmed Jamar Brown is back. He will play this week. I actually think as this year goes on, Jamar Brown is going to play maybe a bigger role in this defense than maybe some people think. But the biggest news from that, Chris, would be one, Izzy Mukwamu sort of has still been dealing with that groin injury and is actually now a game-time decision for South Carolina against Auburn on Saturday. And and obviously a an injury that we've had to track for most of the year ever since it happened in week one. And if he cannot go, then that obviously is a bit of a blow for South Carolina's defense. Yeah, so you would think that Izzy may be at least limited or certainly could be out, you know, in that game. You look at, you know, Vanderbilt, obviously he was limited in that contest as Muschamp laid out on on Thursday night, last night. I guess if there's some good news to be had about that situation, it is that Jalen Dickerson is back, right, which South Carolina did not have him last week, and they're getting Jamar Brown a piece that they have not had all this season. And so – what that could enable South Carolina to do, potentially, depending on availability of everyone back there in the secondary, is uh, could give them a guy to maybe play that dime spot if they feel that they can. You know, it depends on number of bodies available, depends on personnel. Or it could just give them a guy back there where Jamar Brown's rep some at safety. So certainly, at least situationally, you know, they can put him back there. And like you said, I think, especially with a healthy Gamecock secondary, if they've got everybody on board for – a game at some point or a series of games, I think he is going to continue to see his role expand now that he's back healthy. But um, having Dickerson back, I mean, you and I have talked about this, Wes. We, we like what we've seen from Dickerson this season. I thought going into the Vandy game before we knew that he was you know, going to miss contest, that he was probably going to play more. Um, don't know that for sure, but it seemed like he might have been in line to play more than he had even the first couple weeks. So uh, getting him back certainly – a positive, losing McQuamu, a guy who can play corner, who can play safety, who's shown that he's capable of creating some big plays in terms of turnovers, that is a, a blow potentially. Um, so it'll be fascinating, I think, to see, A, who is available. You know, when, when the ball's kicked off, who's available to get out there in South Carolina's packages in the secondary. And I think for South Carolina, and this is something we'll get into more later, you don't want to be facing a you you want to be facing a lot of third and long situations, you know, if you're playing Auburn. And so it could, you know, play into that. How 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 good can you be on third downs? How good can you be limited in explosive plays? And some of these guys we're talking about are, are a key cog in that. Yeah, is he certainly if he's not able to go, um, which as we know, any anytime it comes down to game time decision, um that that's that can be a bad omen, I think. So we'll see. We'll see how he feels when he wakes up. But generally, game time decisions, just in our experience, um, is a bad omen, you know, for guys, especially trying to play in the secondary, a position where, you know, you have to change direction. Not that you don't have to do that at every position, but a groin injury, when you're changing direction and you don't know which way the the guy you're trying to stay with is going to turn, very difficult. And that that's why they've played him at safety as much as they have to try and, you know, keep him from having to turn his hips as much and to try try to keep him from having to run the length of the field on some of these nine balls, um, you know, or basically deep balls, a fly route. Um, you know, what Muschamp says that is what he means. So I, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a factor. Now, the fact that I think you've seen really good things, Chris, from, from Johnny Dixon 
I think he's come on for South Carolina. There will be a little more pressure on him to perform, I, I think, this week against some really good Auburn you know, receivers. But it's a cool opportunity for him as he's seen his playing time grow. And I, I would say he's been one of the guys you, – you never know coming into a year how somebody's going to respond. And I, I think you got to give Johnny Dixon credit. He has responded getting – like you said, man, getting Jalen Dickerson back and getting Jamar in there, assuming Jamar is ready and not rusty, then having Jamar Brown back at Will actually – Will Dime, I should say. He's been working at both actually increases your depth in the secondary because it forces it forces or it allows you not to force RJ into that dime spot um, is what I'm trying to say so that that helps Dickerson being back helps it's I mean that's football though you're gonna deal with injuries as we've talked about South Carolina has not had other than the preseason Marshawn Lloyd injury they've not really had a just big run of injuries to have to deal with. So every, everybody, it starts to get, the year starts to go on. We're in week four now. You know, Auburn doesn't have K.J. Britt. They're a big-time linebacker. So it gets to a point, where, you know, you just have to deal with it. It's going to happen. As far yeah. as other uh, newsworthy things, Chris, I, I'm interested to see what happens at offensive tackle. That's um, That's something that we've talked about. I mean, shoot from – preseason, you know, week one, basically going into Tennessee. It's been a conversation every week. We had someone else already ask us about it here on the comments. I have a feeling, and I haven't confirmed this. I doubt it's going to be confirmed until the starting lineup is announced. I did ask around. I was told the general sense is that our thinking is correct, that this could be when Jazz – Turnatine gets his first career start for South Carolina with him at left tackle, Dylan Wanham at right tackle. Again, not set in stone. They could change their mind tomorrow, honestly. Ja'Kai Moore, Muschamp made a point, Chris, on the call-in show to commend Ja'Kai Moore and how he has stepped in to that right tackle spot. So, again, not reporting it as a fact, but I do think – Ultimately, that's the lineup they sort of wanted to get to was Jazz and Wanham opposite each other at offensive tackle. And and I think that's something we talked about earlier this week, Chris. I think that's something where this offensive line could really start to solidify itself if Jazz is ready to take over that spot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that was a big question preseason, right? And then the equation sort of changed based on a variety of factors. So now that, that Jazz is – you know, back in the mix, he's he's in better shape. I, I thought it was it was a big positive that Will Muschamp was able to explain the other day, sort of what happened there with him just not being in optimal shape. And so now that he is, you know, being in shape, I mean, it makes a world of difference. Play better assignment football. You can play longer. You can mentally, you know, hone in and focus. And so he got his feet wet in the Vanderbilt game. If he's ready, that'd be significant. I think Ja'Kai Moore did some really good things against Vanderbilt, particularly in the run game. I think he showed some things there. So if you've got Jazz in the mix and if he can win a starting job, or at least, hey, even if not, if he can be ready to go, right, that's a positive. Dylan Wanham, you know, is a guy that's played a lot of football. Ja'Kai Moore is continuing to to come on, and Jalen Nichols can be in the mix too there at tackle. And now you're more along the lines of what we thought preseason, right? Now you've got – your three or four tackles, right, you know, that, that are in the mix as opposed to 
you know, that equation changed a little bit preseason. Yeah, so we had a question on here about uh, testing, Chris, obviously COVID testing. And it's a good question from Shane. We know for a fact, so let me make sure I'm getting my verbiage right. The, the PCR test, that that's the, the nose test, right? That's right, yeah. So we know for a fact South Carolina is doing the three-day – or three for three days of the week they're doing the nose PCR test. They have not mentioned the other stuff. I've heard, I've heard rumblings maybe they're doing an oral test in between there as well. Um, I don't know that to be 100% fact, so I don't want to say it as a fact. But I have heard maybe that's been implemented too. But they're definitely, as a you know, matter of complete fact, doing three days a week of of the PCR test, and it's interesting. I mean, this whole saving thing, Chris. I mean, is the thought process now that he may have had a false positive? Is that is that what's been reported now? Are, are people thinking that? Well, I, if he's if there's talk now that he may be able to be on the sideline on Saturday, yeah. if he that gets if he gets three negatives, I mean, uh, Desmond Howard tweeted basically saying, "Don't be surprised if Nick Saban is on the sideline on Saturday," yeah. which he ain't he ain't gonna say something like that unless there's right a right. decent chance it's true. And I the the on, I say the only way that's gonna be possible. Right. With our current rules, has to be that the thought process is it you know that it was a, a false positive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and look, we have heard there have been some false positives and some discrepancies and things like that across college football and and outside of college football. So that that's the difficult thing, you know, about this that and contact tracing. There's so much by the rules that that you have to do that you need to do if you get a positive you know if you, if you get a positive you need to make sure that there's no discrepancy then if you've got a positive then you're obviously isolated then you got a contact trace and those guys are out so it can become a debacle for you in a hurry so um yeah i mean it, we, we i think college football and the sec there have obviously been some postponements and cancellations which we pretty much knew was going to happen barring some miracle um but I think overall, right, it's been in a pretty good place. I think we've all been pretty fortunate that there have not been more postponements and things like that. Just speaking strictly in terms of the game and not any, you know, health concerns or anything like that. Yeah, man. And uh, I think for the and, – and I it's kind of been interesting for me. And I, I don't want to go all into, you know, the whole COVID thing. But it's been interesting how many people – like say, Saban tests positive. And then all of a sudden, there there have been a handful of people that have been like, "Oh, we we told you you couldn't do this." You told you know, and so Florida had their little you know their run this week. And it's like, well, now now you're getting concerned again. But when other like smaller teams had issues, you didn't see all the columns about about that necessarily. It's like, right. but so when some higher profile people it happens to them, then boom, let's put out our doomsday columns again. So anyway, that's, that's here nor there. I'm not like I've said from the beginning, I'm right there in the middle of this thing. It's real. It exists. We got to be careful. 
But also I think playing football and doing it with rules and protocols has, I still believe has proven to be the right thing because it's what the players wanted and the coaches wanted. And they're ultimately the most important thing here as far as whether they're in it mentally with their hearts and all that or not. So anyway, back to South Carolina, Auburn, by the way, one more real quick thing. Somebody asked, when would Vandy have been tested last? That would have been Thursday, right? I mean, yes. every every SEC school um, is doing the Thursday nose test so that you can get back the results fast enough to make – there's enough time to get back the results before the game on Saturday. Um, and I, Carolina's had pretty darn good turnaround time on, on their test from what I've heard. But you sort of – I guess there's a little built-in day there. Um and you don't you don't want anybody traveling if you're the road team you don't want anybody traveling that could have it so you have to test early enough that you can get those results before you put somebody on a bus or plane you know all all together basically so but I, I do I do think teams have started to mix in the oral tests as well but I don't know that for a fact so Chris as we have sort of dived into this game and we've got to put out Chris is way ahead of me in content right now we've got to put out I say we but I've got to write my final thoughts on the game and I've got to write my buy or sell brought to you by Bishop Real Estate and keys to victory but before we get to SEC StatCat Chris give everybody a little tease of your top key to victory for the Gamecocks. So I, I think it is going to be limiting explosive plays by Auburn. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, we can, there, it's like you said yesterday, there are probably 20 or 25 or 30 little micro things. Really, in this game, every single aspect is going to be important. It isn't any game. But when, when you have a game that's expected to be this close, the same way in Tennessee, we, we said, oh, this thing, this thing, this thing. There's so many different ones. But if I'm really going to boil it down, I think it's explosive plays limiting those, right? Because Auburn's going to want to control the game. Um, they're actually you know, going to want to run the football a lot. Uh, they're going to want to control things. They're going to go tempo at times. They're going to try to create some explosive plays. And so – We've talked about all the key players. You know, Bo Nix, he's a dual-threat type of guy, but you're talking about Anthony Schwartz and Tank Bigsby. Um, Pegues, you know, the 300-pound tight end. Uh, you know, Seth Williams. They got a lot of guys that individually can really hurt you. And so I go back to Tennessee. They're one for 11. If, you, if you'd say, you know, hey, South Carolina held the opposing team for one to one of 11 on third down, and guess who won? You're – probably going to say South Carolina, right? But the difference in that game was the explosive plays. There were a couple long passing plays. There were some runs. Even Vanderbilt popped too many eight-yard runs for Will Muschamp's liking, right? And so I think when you look at every game South Carolina's played, that's been the issue with the defense. It's been too many explosive plays. So if they can limit that against Auburn, I think it gives them a much, much, much better chance of winning. All right, guys, let's go ahead and pop up this interview with um, our friend Clark Brooks from SEC StatCat. 
I will tell y'all, I know some some people are super into stats, analytics, all that stuff. Some people aren't, and that you know, that's fine. This it's it's very stat analytical heavy, but also I think you'll if you know if you hang in there, I think you'll learn something. And I think there there's not much of what SEC StatCat does out there on the internet, but the last sort of last season I really started reading their stuff when I came across it and I've followed up with it this year as well. It really gets you an idea of what's going on past just your typical traditional ESPN.com stats, rushing, you know, completion percentage by itself tells you, okay, this guy completed a certain percentage of passes. But what Clark does with SEC StatCat is it's trying to go beyond that. Um, What depth were these completions made? Um, a, A receiver may be targeted this many times, but how many of those targets you know, was the ball thrown where he couldn't catch it versus the target was there, but the guy just dropped it. So that that's – and you can't even get all of that just from one interview, but if you go to secstatcat.com, you can really dive into South Carolina's um, success rate, just so, so many different things. But we'll let him tell you about it. Clark Brooks, who joined us earlier today here on GC Live. All right, and we're joined now by a very special guest, first time on GC Live. He is Clark Brooks, but you may know him as the SEC StatCat. Be sure to follow him on Twitter. That's at SEC StatCat. Clark, uh, first time on the show, man. We appreciate you taking the time. Uh, how's everything going for you? Oh, it's good. We're in between games right now, so I have a chance to catch my breath. It was not so fun last week, just for whatever reasons. I didn't get done charting until – uh, Thursday morning, so I had to pull an all-nighter to get all these games in in time for the weekly stat blast, but looking forward to a bloodbath of a week four matchup. I think every line is like single digits, so um, mm-hmm. def- the statistics are definitely going to be a big part for this week, to say the least. So, Clark, uh, and first of all, we have this moment in the show every day where I say, all right, everybody all together now, go subscribe to Gamecock Central on YouTube. But today, a little bit different. Everybody, right now, pull up your phone. You can even close this out for a second if you need to. Go to Twitter, search for SEC StatCat, and SEC follow these guys. StatCat. Say that again? SEC underscore StatCat. Okay, let's make sure yeah. we get that part right. Yeah, yeah. Underscore StatCat. Go for it. Hit the follow button and make his numbers go up. Um, and now that we've got that part out of the way, Clark, so, dude, are you you're, – you're charting all these games each week. you um every snap is me every bit of data how do you do that Uh, time effort and just having to know a little know with all with what's actually going on in terms of football schematics so I'd love to do some defensive stuff too but I'm only one man I had to pick my battles and um I I just started to do offenses so we're talking about what personnel people line up in formation of course that's under my terminology uh which you know it it Take it or leave it. I mean, I'm the one doing it, so I'm going to use my terminology in terms of the uh, the formations I use. What concepts teams are running? So, what 
when I just hear, oh, they run a lot, that doesn't tell me anything. What are they running when they run the ball? Is it um, inside zones? Is it counters? Is it buck sweeps like uh, or pin pulls like South Carolina really liked to do last year? So it just helps separate teams a little bit more, um, apply a little bit more details into the macro. Of course, you know, a lot of people just divulge to the traditional statistics like total yards gained or completion percentage, but I didn't think that was doing the Southeastern Conference a service. I mean, after all, you've heard it uh, said a thousand times, and this won't be the last. It just means more in this conference. So applying uh, more in terms of the statistical areas uh, was very important to me. So um, basically with the stuff I track, you can get where runs are going, the percentages. You can get what concept teams are running and what situations. You can see where passes are going and how accurate – uh, quarterbacks are um, target heat maps how, how percentage of yards are uh, on the field are accumulated by wide receivers so a lot of different stuff but again since it is just me charting it is a it is definitely a labor of love it during each fall Clark I, I'm glad you mentioned your uh, your terminology because that's where exactly where I want to go with my first question so you know looking at some of your um, you know, calls the charting the different plays, you know, for example, you've got Rose flank nine buck read, or you've got black off stack to RPO X tunnel. So like, obviously some of these terms, you know, you can look at some of these things and you can see RPO or you can see trips and, you know, you might have some general, the, the common football fan may know some of these things, but how did you come up with these terminologies? Did you just pour over some playbooks and take some concepts for people? Did you totally conjure some of them up and then, can you give us some examples of what maybe some of them mean? Oh, know, absolutely. Colors. So um, in terms of formations, if it's a basic formation, like I write, right, you know, that I, I turned that twins left. Like, that stuff is pretty, um, yeah. pretty self-explanatory. But colors I borrowed from high school. That's what we use. We use colors if it had an L in it or had something mnemonic device that means strength was to the left, had an R in it, strength was to the right. So blue is blue and red go together green and yellow go together black and white go together lime and rose go together turquoise and teal go together so that's just like a bunch of different things and um if you're following along with game live and you're looking at our script page you can see the stuff come in you can actually just oh and tie the two together but there's no great example for the tight end set so tight end sets are usually the ones with the colors as opposed to flex two by two sets ace two tight end sets um uh, trips obviously three wide receivers to the same side empty a lot of people can just realize that and know what's going on but since there is a lot of uh minutia a lot of change in details on where exactly that tight end lines up like for instance some tight some tight ends line up as the sniffer formation in the backfield uh, kind of hybrid fullback tight end position others are offset on the line but not on the line so it's just um giving all these types of different variants and that type of stuff but again yeah i wanted to keep the actual play calls as close to common nomenclature as possible now that's not going to always happen because you know new concepts kind of pop up every year for instance um i have this drawn up behind me slam which is just a normal inside zone right we have everyone flowing to the right we're attacking the b gap well then we have um a very similar play that um surprisingly Mississippi state started to run last year slash, which is an inside zone, but as opposed to crossing the quarterback space with him tr traditionally reading a backside defender or a second half defender, if you have an RPO on, you're basically having the running back aligned to the same side he's attacking. And I actually put that Carolina has.
touch last year. Um, but it's joining inside zone. So it's just, yeah, using traditional means and just using a little bit more of my nomenclature to help give exactly what's going on with, um, with, with, uh, with each team. And of course, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not so arrogant to, to know that, look, the average see that it's just a completely different language. So like on the site, we have our gridiron one-on-one section, which has basically 40, 50, um, two minute videos, quick digestible things. Some have little jokes in them that basically draw up and show you real life examples of the most common concepts and you know why I call them that. And there's also a video that actually walks you through how the nomenclation uh, process goes in terms of runs and passes. All right, so let, let's dive into South Carolina a little bit here. Um, as you've charted these games out, now we have a little bit of a feel, you know, three games worth of data of Mike Bobo and sort of what he's implemented with his offensive scheme. What have you maybe seen, and I know you've been doing this for a few years now, so you had a couple of years of data on Brian McClendon. Mm -hmm. What are the biggest differences you've seen so far um, as far as your scripting out plays with Bobo so far this year versus Brian McClendon the last couple of years at South Carolina? One of the big uh, year-over-year changes has been a decrease in outside power run concepts. So last year, the buck sweep, whether in a read or just a straight-off handoff, um, dating back to 1967, has been a great play in football, but for whatever reason, it's gone the way with, with more teams going uh, towards zone-based philosophies in the run game. Well, South Carolina under Brian McClanahan, where they were one of the few SEC offenses to give power concepts more play share than zone concepts. And speaking of buck sweep, it was their number one play in terms of play share with a 6.5% clip. They averaged uh, 7.8 yards per carry on a 52% success rate. Phenomenal. Well, for whatever reason, whether it be change in philosophies, whether it just be um, not necessarily trusting your guards to take care of business outside the bookends, um, that has really lost play share. They've only called eight outside powers in three games. And again, it was their most common play last year. So that play share is going to more inside zones, like we talked about, slam and the slash. Slash is a little bit less used than slam. Slam is absolutely um, uh, the leader far and away, but it's because they're executing it well. 57.1% success rate on a 5.7 yards per carry. Um, I tweeted this out last night, but South Carolina, so if you're looking at play calling, you kind of want to see what teams are doing on early downs. Third downs, it's, it's a lot more isolated. It's a lot more compartmentalized. It's more one-off type of thing. That's when you see your crazy exotic blitzes on defense or you know heavy protection offenses with deep developing routes. And so it's a little bit more uh, situationally based. Early downs are planned. This is what the offense wants to be when all things are working. So um, early down uh, run rate, South Carolina is near the top. They're one of the few, they're one of the three SEC offenses this year that averages more yards per run than yards per pass on first downs, and it's because they have the highest yards before contact clip. So um, last year, they kind of messed themselves up going with the power run tied in with the uh, the West Coast principles when they could not stretch defenses. So what it did with Ryan Helinski failing to um, threaten defenses with a kind of a hmm, Less than spectacular arm throwing deep. It really didn't, um, you know, scare defenses to sit back. They came in, they crowded the box. So that means run lanes for zones were not there. So we have to use these power principles to create run lanes. But the problem is 
yards before contact was terrible. And even before the game against Vanderbilt, guess what? Second worst yards before contact clipped in the SEC. That was South Carolina. But you know what? One week of blame Vanderbilt, they're now first in the SEC, averaging 3.81 yards per carry. And, of course, that was highly inflated by two long untouched carries, that 88-yarder to Kevin Harris. And the end around, I forget who was two, but the 47-yarder, um, untouched on both of those carries, so they absolutely inflated them. But if we even if we wanted to take those two out, 2.6 yards before contact, still very good relative to the rest of the conference in that one-off. But it's it's doing a lot more vari- uh, variability with the inside zones. They're not necessarily um, just playing to get to third down. Now, obviously, that kind of happens by uh, the passing game not necessarily being great. But um, as opposed to last year where it was basically third and five every single series, it's less um, less reliant on that at this point in time. But looking at the overall analytics, uh, points per play, it's still relatively flat. So the operation in terms of the West Coast is still there. They still – predominantly focused short. Colin Hill is only two of 10 on deep passes. He has as many interceptable passes deep as completions deep. That's not great. Um, so it's a, as, as opposed to trying to get explosivity out of this offense, it's still more of the same. It's relying on yak stuff, um, RPO slants, screens. Um, spot concept is still one of their favorite things, even though they're not necessarily targeting that concept specifically. They're going a little bit more spreading the wealth. But – um, in terms of me, that really caught my eye. It's definitely getting away from the outside powers, looks that basically buoyed your run game last year, and you're going for looks like inside zone slam reads where they did average seven yards per pop last year. It had a below average success rate, only 46% success rate. So um, getting better inside the bookends with traditional uh, zone plays has been a big, a big year-over-year change. And that has helped their down-to-down success rate. So last year in SEC play against so against SEC defenses, no offense had a worse rushing success rate than South Carolina. Well, now it's sixth best. So you go from worst to sixth best, and if your passing game is basically flat, a little bit of improvement, you're going to show a lot of gains. So 15 points better year over year that rushing success rate is at this point in time. Uh, the overall success rate is about five percentage points better. So um, they're a lot closer to the average as opposed to being bottom dwellers in this conference. You know, whenever you're mentioned in the same breath as Vanderbilt and Arkansas, it's not the best look. But now they're they're basically the quintessential average offense in this conference, and it's because their ability to run the ball on early downs as opposed to um, floundering with Ryan Holinsky in there, who, of course, as a true freshman, being baptism by far in the SEC, wasn't a great showing, but with a fifth-year uh, senior Colin Hill, who's a little bit more of a seasoned dog, has been a little bit better results thus far, even if the points per play is relatively flat as long as well as that explosive pass rate or explosive play rate. Clark, one of the things that it was a big talking point in the offseason, you know, going into this year is South Carolina's second half production, right? Sometimes uh, we saw last season it sort of they, they would start off the games well, they would sort of fall off a cliff from an offensive production standpoint in the second half, and then everything fell off a cliff in the second half of the actual season. Mm-hmm. Will Muschamp talked a lot about after the Vanderbilt game how they ran some different run concepts than what they took into the game. So a two-part question, you know, from what you saw, what were they running a little bit more of 
you know, after the first few drives in the Vanderbilt game, was it more of the inside power, the inside zone stuff? And then secondly, what have you seen out of Mike Bobo's second half adjustments in the Tennessee game, in the Florida game, and in the Vanderbilt game that have led to some better second half performances? Well, I, I think the change in run was the I formation stuff. Now they, they came out in some I formation sets um, the first two weeks, but not a whole lot. Um, I think it was around 40% of their plays came out of I formation or something like yards. It may have been rush yards. 41% of their rush yards came out of I formation, which again, this is 2020. This isn't 1998 where a lot of teams are doing this. Um, and I think it was 100% um, justified because of we're learning that Vanderbilt was not at full strength last week. They had a, a decent amount of players uh, test positive and opt out. They're already at a physical and talent disadvantage. So um, it makes sense if you're the bigger, stronger team to run those power types of sets. And of course, when it delivers an 88 yard untouched run, everybody wants to jump up and down, but you know what? That was the only ex- uh, successful carry <laughs> on that concept last, uh, last week. So um, yes, absolutely. It was I formation stuff, but I don't know how transferable that will be against other opponents besides Vanderbilt. Cause um, I'll be honest, last two, last, uh, last year and this year included once you play Vanderbilt, your rushing numbers just completely get distorted because they're so bad. You can't put a whole lot of weight into it. Like I said, you all went from the second worst and yards before contact to the best in one week. Um, you're and ironically enough, your rushing success rate was the worst of the season. Only 37% success rate. You guys are around um, 48% overall, which again is the fourth best. So um, as far as moving forward for them, I think the slash stuff is something to definitely keep a, keep an eye on. Um, they ran nine inside zones, so inside zone reads. So that was their most, uh, the highest play share, 14.3 share. Seven went to slams. Uh, two went to slashes, which, yeah, okay, it's clearly a favorite for the slash. But again, uh, clearly a favorite for the slam. But again, if this is used as a counter look, as a wrinkle look for teams that are anticipating the overflow towards the mesh side, it is a way to get a counter without uh, pulling alignment. And, of course, a lot of their inside power stuff thus far, so the duo dimes and the ISO, has been power without moving linemen. So it's just a different way to do that. You can even call this a zone counter if you really want to. But um, very simple look, and it's the thing they don't necessarily have to you know use a whole lot of time installing. It's just basically tweaking things that are already existing on their base offense. But um, – my big issue with them is just finding potency in the passing game and not having to rely on screens and slants and stuff like that. Clark, so let's get into this uh, matchup tomorrow, South Carolina. Auburn, Auburn, a team that I would say just outside looking in, seems like they've been sort of up and down so far this year. Obviously, really slowed down by a, a really, really good Georgia defense. And, you oh, know, yeah. Too. Um, I think, I mean, much like, and we've talked about it all week, much like Vanderbilt is a team you sort of get right against uh offensively i think georgia is going to be a defense that probably makes a lot of people look bad this year but what have you and, and dating back to last year as well what have you maybe seen from bo Nix and this auburn offense that is worth noting you know that sort of sticks out to you and um, have you seen many differences with chad morris i assume actually calling the plays this year uh, you know compared to last year i know there's always a little question about who's actually running the offense um, right. at Auburn with Gus. But just any prevailing thoughts on Auburn? 
Well, the the year over thing, year over year things that have stayed the same. They're still a run dominant team. They don't like to have Knicks in drop back passing situations. They want to give him um, manageable options with whether it be screens, run pass options, or just short drop back concepts. So um, they do not like targeting the middle of the field at all. You know, last night I shared everyone's pa- updated pass charts. I think Bo Nix only has uh, four attempts beyond five yards in the in between the hashes um he predominantly loves to target outside the numbers play iso ball one-on-one you know back shoulder fades comebacks streaks curls off rpos that type of thing uh, n- not a big fan in high low reads towards the middle field like i said so he doesn't necessarily put the ball in harm's way a whole lot but look let's be honest he has struggled with his accuracy i think he's dead last in the conference and completion percentage right now not saying that you know that's con- entirely on him especially against the, you know, a defense like Georgia and low-key Arkansas, which is the second-best success rate going into week four. I bet a lot of people don't know that. Barry Odom has low-key been one of the best off-season hires. So it's time that he gets some acclaim um, as well. But, yeah, their offense, um, they still rely a lot on RPOs for a lot of their production. But last week specifically um, got my eyebrows raised because, first of all, these J.J. Pegwis – as a wildcat back, but that that's the thing. Okay. That's what a lot of people are going to notice. Obviously when you see a 300 pounder back there taking wildcat snaps, a lot of people are going to jump up and down, but the thing that got my attention. So I, I hinted at bluff reads earlier. Bluff reads are a inside zone read um, with a split zone. So if I were just to tweak our slam design here, so usually you do split zones with an off tight end. He's off the ball. Why is he off the ball? Because he's going to have to move across the formation to seal the end defender. So he fires across, either setting a seal on the split zone or on a bluff read. He basically becomes the personal protector if the quarterback chooses to pull it. So if you have a 300-pounder as this type of basically a trapper, an edge trapper, a backside edge trapper for his zone, that opens up so many potential opportunities for Bo Nix to keep the ball in the uh, run game. Of course, last year Bo Nix was one of the most successful running runners on design runs so that's non non-saxon scrambles when he is a designed runner he was near the top and first down touchdown rate and success rate so if you can add that type of wrinkle and you're playing against a defense that's not particularly um the most sound i mean they're, they're relatively average south carolina's defense but they're not top five defending the run they're not top five defending the pass they're not top five presenting explosive plays they're not top five and getting sacks so um, the way to beat Auburn is obviously to get pressure on Nick. We saw what Georgia did. They basically broke a fifth, a fifth of their um, offensive snaps were broken, either because of immediate pressure and the play broke down or because of a coverage sack and nothing was open after the snap. So um, Auburn, like they've always been under miles on, they're great in rhythm. When things are working on early downs, and they want to live and get five yards per carry on early down. You use a little bit more pace. But for whatever reason, Bo Nix has not necessarily made the jump that I expected him to make. You can say, you know, oh, that's just another instance of Chad Morris, like, you know, tanking someone's potential or whatever. But um, he just has not been great ball placement. And, and, I mean, his top two targets, Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz, have combined to see the most inaccurate targets through the first three weeks. They're one and two in the SEC. That's not going to necessarily be a great um, game plan moving forward in terms of maximizing your uh, potential. And, of course, speaking of Anthony Schwartz, 
fastest player in college football who seemingly can never win deep. I always find that interesting. Um, but no SEC uh, receivers' yards are more inflated to after contact than his right now. Eighty, Basically 85% of his uh, yards have come after contact, so that screams screens. And if you know anything about screens, they are not necessarily a reliable down-to-down. They're very reliant on defenses playing back. And uh, while screens last year were kind of early down plays under Gus Malzahn, Auburn's had to turn to them in third and uh, behind the chain situations, which, again, ups the ante because if you have the game 10 yards, obviously it's a little bit harder than when you have the game five yards on first and 10 in order to be successful. The bar is just so much higher. So um, I think only one screen thus far has resulted in success for them. And if it's the third yeah, it's the third most featured concept of their play share right now. That's not great. So I'm I'm fairly concerned about their offense. Um, even against Kentucky, they didn't look particularly great. Um, they got the win last week, but it wasn't particularly great. Um, it was just rather middling, and that's what it was year over year. So, again, their, their big weaknesses are keeping Bo Nix clean and um, – not necessarily having to put themselves in short, uh, long yardage situations because the run game has actually been a lot better, and that's because of Tank Williams. Tank Williams, he's a hoss. He's like Karen, Kevin Harris. He's a tough guy to bring down. Uh, Kevin Harris led the SEC going into week three in broken tackles. Well, thanks to 14, 15 broken tackles against Arkansas, Tank Bigsby now holds that edge. Um, so he's helped them be after uh, be one of the best after contacts. Auburn's one of the I think one of the three, two or three offenses in the conference in top four in yards before and after contact well last year they were fifth in yards before contact well guess what they were dead last in yards after contact so he has been a big help getting them extra hidden yardage if you want to put it that way which has led to more explosive gains on the ground low key um, despite having a bottom five explosive pass rate and what do I mean by explosive passes those are a percentage of passes that gain 20 yards or more well they're still bottom four in that area because they're, they're focusing a lot of their passes short with RPOs and screens and all that. They're not necessarily going the distance. But the run game is top four in explosive run rate. And it, it, in my mind, is 100% of um, their ability to do a lot better after contact. So if South Carolina isn't tackling well, um, it could be a long afternoon because of how Auburn likes to play. They want to lean on that run game to open up everything else to the passing. Very old school approach. Um, they still do a lot of motions, a lot of eye candy. That you know, uh, it, it's very Gus Malzahn, very Chad Morris uh, philosophy to play that deception type of football, especially when you start pulling linemen and running bluff reads with 300 pounders coming across the formation. It can be a lot of moving parts for a defense to digest especially in short yardage situations. So I would definitely keep that in mind. But in terms of overall potency, I'm not necessarily um, wowed with what Chad Morris has done year over year. You know, they did things that I was expecting. They ran a lot more um, switch concepts. They're doing a lot more um, deception-based double move stuff downfield, but they're still leaning on their, their principles. Their inside zone slam reads with the slot bubble, the most common play in college football, and you can thank Gus Malzahn for that. So they still definitely do all that type of stuff. But for me, it's going to come down for them, uh, for South Carolina, to bottle up Tank Bigsby, DJ Williams, uh, and Sean Shivers after contact. If they can um, 
you know, if, if they're allowing two and a half yards before contact, but they only allow one, one and a half yards after contact, they'll take it. But they cannot allow um, two and a half on both, in both fronts, which is what Auburn, like I said, one of the few SEC offenses that are currently averaging that running the ball. Clark, this uh, Zoom meeting has given me a little two-minute countdown, man, so we'll let you get out of here. But, uh, dude, we appreciate the time. And uh, why don't you tell everybody again a little bit about where they can find your work, Twitter, the actual website, and uh, hopefully our listeners. Hey, guys, we don't have enough time in the world to sort of talk about everything that's on the website. So y'all go check it out and see for yourself. Yeah, so you can follow uh, the Twitter feed, which is where most of the information gets sent out just because of uh, I'm kind of time. Uh, I'm kind of handcuffed in terms of turning things around, charting basically uh, 1,100 offensive snaps a week. It takes a lot of time. Um, so at SEC underscore StatCats, the Twitter feed. Um, I also have a Facebook page, but I don't really update it. You can check it out if you want. You can like it if you want. But the goods are at SECStatCat.com. Um, you'll be, you'll code to the landing page. And of course, every SEC team has their own specific page where you can see pass charts, uh, target charts, run charts, run tables. You can go to SEC leaders and you can filter things by like down, um, area of the field. If you want to just look at deep passing, you could, if you want to narrow it down and say, look, I want to see how many people had the most yards on screens. You can do that. Um, so all that and more can be found on the site, but it's always a good follow, especially on Thursdays when all the games are updated and I'm sending out the weekly leaders heading into this weekend. Hey, great stuff, man. Clark, hey, let's try to do this again sometime. And again, everybody listening, everybody watching, go check them out at SEC underscore StatCat on Twitter. Clark, we'll see you soon, okay, man? Take it easy, guys. All right, that's the SEC stat cat. Hope y'all enjoyed that. From your from your comments, uh, it sounds like it looks like you did. Um, hopefully, everybody learned something. I know I did, and we'll continue to. And by the way, I was thinking about this earlier today. If y'all know of anyone on Twitter that is like a good follow or just involved in college athletics, and you think would be a great guest. Let us know because we're going to try to sort of expand that part of it out. We're going to have some former Gamecocks on. We'll get to those guys. But I, I like, you know, maybe introducing somebody to South Carolina fans that, that maybe they weren't necessarily following or, or paying attention to otherwise. So go check his stuff out on Twitter. I tell you, Chris, the thing that stood out to me, man, and I'd love to hear, you know, from our fans there as well, what, what stood out to them. The thing that caught my attention is how little – Auburn throws the football in the middle of the field. Uh, you know, I think he said four throws from Bo Nix, basically middle of the field, inside the hashes. And I think the the beauty of the fact that uh, he actually goes through and Clark does chart all those snaps, that's a trend that if you and I were to just watch a couple of Auburn games to get ready for this game, I don't think I'm going to notice that. Oh, they never threw the ball to the middle of the field. You really only get that when you actually chart the data out and then look back at it as a whole. And that's something South Carolina, I would guarantee, as much as teams in the SEC these days value analytics, value charting, value scouting. I'm sure they know those things, but it's interesting to sort of learn it there. And and I didn't realize that. I mean, I knew – Auburn traditionally under Gus is a screen team, but didn't realize they just don't throw the ball over the middle. 
Yeah, it's re- really good um, nugget there. And you're right, man. I mean, you, you think about these teams and how they're preparing. Uh, and, you know, I'll use defense as an example because that's what we're talking about here, talking about the Auburn offensive attack, South Carolina's defense. You know, these teams have – they do a lot of their prep in advance, right? So they'll, they'll game plan in the spring, summer, whatever. And then obviously you revisit that during the season, during your week of game preparation and, and what they've done that particular season, you know, up until the point that you play them. But I mean, they have these huge binders that are this high on each team, just going through all these different concepts. They've done a ton of film. And so obviously when you're talking about Chad Morris and Gus Miles on, they've got a lot of film from the past to go back and study. But, you know, I thought it was really neat, um, the SEC inside that they did, SEC Network did on Tennessee and South Carolina, and watching Will Muschamp and his defensive staff talking about some of the different things of how Tennessee may attack them. And it's always, when you're talking about playing defense, it is sort of a pick your poison because you, you do have to know, based on your game plan, based on your calls, if you get in a certain you know, if you get a different – this particular look or if they run this particular play, you're going to be vulnerable in some areas. Um, I remember it with the Tennessee when it was – they weren't as concerned about Tennessee's tight end going into that game. They were more concerned about the run game. They were more concerned about the receivers. Um, and Will Muschamp in that broadcast said a couple of different times, let's take care of the wideouts. We're not as worried as much about the tight end. Um, they ended up with one catch for 11 yards. So, you know, clearly that was something they saw. That's the type of thing that you mentioned earlier that Clark mentioned where they're going to be able to obviously see on film, hey, Auburn, you know, doesn't throw over the the middle of the field a ton. So they're going to be more concerned about screen game and getting Tank Bigsby on the ground and making sure that you have good rush lane integrity when you're trying to affect Bo Nix. So a lot of different things, a lot of different complexities and things to think about when you're going into these games. Yeah, and I, I talked to Clark a little bit um, off the air as well, uh, you know, about this game, about this matchup. And, you know, when when I think of Chad Morris and when I think of Gus Malzahn, I, I think of the screen game as being a huge part of, of what they do and a successful part of it too. Um, I You know, talking to him, a lot of their screen game stuff has been – Third and long, you throw it, – it's almost sort of – in some ways, y'all, it's kind of like – it used to just be on third and long, NFL teams especially. You run the little halfback draw and you punt, right? It's like a – it's almost like a give up. And it's a, it's sort of a glorified give up in that you're hoping you have some pretty good receivers. You're hoping they can make a play for you, make a couple of guys miss and get a first down. But you're doing that because you don't trust your offensive line right. in third and long. And you, you add that in with what uh, Brian Matthews said, and you have a situation where they don't really seem to trust the offensive line and pass protection. Y'all, I looked at the PFF numbers for this offensive line. It backs up you know, what, what's being said and that they've struggled. I don't always – Granted, I don't always agree with PFF grades. But, again, it's sort of like you're building a picture. You gather as much information as you can. You take the PFF grades. You think what our friends at AuburnSports.com are telling us. Now add that in with what Clark is seeing. If you're throwing screens on third and long, generally 
they're going to be caught and you're going to tackle, you know, you gang tackle the guy three or four yards downfield and then they punt. When screens are really successful is when, as we know, is when you catch an opponent off guard with the screen, not when everybody's going, watch the screen, it's third and long. So that hasn't really been a successful part of their offense, which surprises me. I think for Carolina, listen to Muschamp yesterday, I think Bo Nix on the ground is what scares them to death. And, again, take all the information, put it together. What Clark told us, that Bo Nix is outstanding in these sort of designed quarterback runs. And that's something we, – we've seen Auburn for years under Gus Malzahn do that same thing he was talking about, where they have the H-back and – the H-back is lined up on on one side of the formation. You run what appears to be a zone read, but is a play fake, and then that H-back comes across the formation and becomes the lead blocker out front for the quarterback. We, I mean, we've seen that from Gus teams since Cam was there. Yeah. So, or Gus offenses, I should say, since Cam was there. So, I think just listening to Muschamp yesterday – the fact that they don't really let Nick's as you know be a true drop back passer, that that's what you circle. On top of you know tackling Tank Bigsby for Auburn, they're got to be circling tackle Kevin Harris. But yeah. getting past those things, I think that's what scares South Carolina to death. Is going to be Bo Nix in the running game if they can keep Bo bottled up. Easier said than done. If you were sitting down having a beer with the staff right now and they gave you like honest opinions, I got a feeling they'd be like, okay, if, if Bo doesn't beat us on the ground, then we feel pretty decent about this. Yeah. I, I agree because you know, if Bo's not beating you on the ground and if you're and if you're, you know, doing a pretty good job against the run, which again is what Auburn's going to try to establish in this game. If you're getting him into some third and long situations, that's ideal. You know, if you go look at SEC StatCat, what he's put together on his website, you know, there are a lot of screens. There's a lot of tunnel screens off RPOs. There's a lot of screens. that There's a high, what he calls, play share, which is the amount of plays, you know, percentage of plays, and then, you know, also the yardage. There's a lot of both of those different kinds of screens. So, um, you know, if you can get them into third downs and they're throwing screens and you're tackling well and you're getting off the field – Fantastic. You know, what you can't have is Nick's extending plays, being successful in design runs. And I think Will Muschamp has, is rightfully, you know, concerned about Tank Bigsby too. And, and some of the one-on-one matchups with Seth Williams, with Anthony Schwartz, you know, who he, you know, Clark is exactly right. You think of Anthony Schwartz and you think of, okay, fast guy is going to run a bunch of go routes and catch the deep ball. It's not really been his game as much, but in space, um, he's pretty good with how they get him the ball. Then you think about tanks, just like Muschamp said last night on Carolina calls. Unfortunately, Auburn, after a couple games, figured out he was really good and started giving him the ball more. And he he really he really has been showing what he can do. So, still, you know, this offense, this Auburn offense, hasn't lit it up this year, but they can be dangerous, you know. And and I think the worry for this staff is some of the things that they've struggled with so far this year are some things that can be exploited. So I think playing really well up front, having great rush lane integrity, um, but also being aware of those design runs are going to be huge. Yeah, and, and like you said, I, I think Swartz, and, and 
our minds, I think of him as being a deep threat guy just because of the speed and having not really watched them uh, a ton. So that that was sort of eye-opening to me. I don't know if it's just worked out that way. I don't know if that's protection issues, uh, ball accuracy issues, or some some guys are honestly really fast but don't have great ball skills down the field. So I, I don't know exactly what those reasons are. And we'll see. I'm, I'm sure at some point they're going to try to exploit that. And to your point, and we had a question there about uh, where does the defense stand the most improvement and what part has improved the most um, through the first few games. I think, man, it's still, for me, it's still very much this defense is a question mark for South Carolina. Too many explosives allowed in the running game and the passing game. And the problem is, you may say, all right, they have to fix the explosives allowed. For me, Chris, the problem with that is that that's a symptom. That's not that's not the problem. You can circle it and be like, this is an issue. This has been an issue. But that's really the symptom of more than likely a multitude of issues. Because you, know, you, have, you have to be able to rush and cover to avoid explosive plays. You have to be able to physically cover, but you also have to mentally not have the bus. So I, I think it's been different problems in, in different games. And the, the problem in some ways has been consistency, which again, consistency even in some ways is more of a symptom in that this is how it plays out because you're not – mentally checked in on every little detail, every single play. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's you're not taking yourself out of the game when you're tired and really probably need to go get a blow on the sideline. You know, so I think that the issue is that there are too many issues right now that are symptoms. To fix those, there are a lot of little details that have to be ironed out. And I think if we're just calling it like we see it, those issues probably – weren't as easily noticeable against the competition you faced last week. And to your point about Tank, the we talked about this maybe the start of this week or last week. Sometimes you don't have missed tackles because athletically the other team just isn't as capable of making you miss tackles. You're going to know when Tank comes down. You know, you not you not have watched Tank Watched this film, you know, since he was probably a sophomore in high school. We've followed this kid. He's the real deal. So that, that's that's going to be a key. Like, like he said, I really like how he breaks it down. Yards before contact, yards after contact. You better be winning at least one of those battles. Ideally, both of them. But continue to get better tackling in the secondary, I would say, as much as anything. Ernest Jones, PFF numbers, Ernest has one missed tackle all year. So if he's getting to the ball, he's going to make a tackle. Some of the other guys, particularly once you get deeper and into the secondary, I think is where you maybe have had issues. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's it's too broad to just say stop stop the explosive plays and everything. So, I mean – because there have been so many different, and I'm guilty of saying that a lot, but breaking it down, you know, you look at, you know, Tennessee, they one of the 
one of the plays was just a phenomenal play. I mean, a guy, Jamie Robinson has great coverage. A guy makes a one-handed catch. Okay, you know, you shake his hand and you play the next down. Another one's a one-on-one situation. Cam Smith didn't have great coverage on it. Then you saw one play. The tempo was an issue, right? One of the touchdown drives, there were a few, a few long, longer runs, not 50 yards, you know, but an eight-yarder, a 12-yarder here and there, and South Carolina didn't deal with the tempo. They got pushed out of their gaps. Some of the Vanderbilt, you know, I mentioned this earlier, even Vandy popped off a few eight-yard runs early in the game, you know, which, which is disconcerting. Just not not doing a good job with your gap integrity at times. Florida, you know, the great embodiment, Kadarius Tony, you get beat on a one-on-one move, which, you know, you can live with that if you get the guy down after a first down, but instead, you know, you miss a bunch of tackles. So, you can just see going back and thinking of some of the explosives that South Carolina's, you know, given up this year. It's not just one particular thing. There's a bunch of different things. Now, the area that they have gotten better in, I think, is, you know, obviously third down because the numbers bear that out. You know, that is something you look at on a more, on a, you know, more broad level. It's a bottom line type of thing. Um, Florida didn't get it in as many. They were four of nine. The problem was, you know, they gave up too many explosives in other plays. Tennessee was one of 11, Vanderbilt, which, again, you know, adjust for competition level. They were one of 12. But the bottom line is they've been better in that metric, you know, so far. Will that continue? We don't know yet. No doubt. All right, y'all. I think that's about all we have for today. Chris, do you have anything we haven't hit that you want to hit? I think we've hit a lot of it. SEC stat cap packed in you know, a week or so of uh, stuff and <laughs> within about 30 minutes. So, yeah, we, we appreciate him. Yep. We appreciate all of our sponsors. We appreciate Affordable Medical USA. Um, quick shout out to Mark and All Maine. If you're looking for somewhere to watch the game on Saturday, go check our friends out. Chris, you and I have got to get over there for a game uh, at some point this year. Yeah. And we'll invite everybody out. And we'll make it a little sort of mini watch party type thing. But uh, I will be at Colin Taylor's wedding tomorrow so shout out to our young beat writer he and Michaela are getting married on Saturday that was originally supposed to be the bye week date I saw people giving him some grief on the site about a fall wedding but originally the bye week obviously not the bye week anymore so Colin will be getting married that will be cool I got dude I got I got a busy day tomorrow so I'm gonna be checking out the Gamecocks at my girlfriend's parents' house before the wedding. Then the wedding is at four. And then depending on the ALCS, I don't know if y'all, if you're Braves fans on here, if the ALCS is still going on, the Braves game is assuming if they lose today, the Braves game is at like four something uh, tomorrow which would put it right during Colin's wedding. So I'm going to be the guy in the back watching the game on my phone, clearly. But if if the ALCS is over, the Braves game gets bumped to 8 o'clock. So literally it'll be Gamecock football, Colin wedding, Braves baseball, all in a row. And then the Braves are winning tonight, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I'm I'm not Shane, Shane's giving me. I'm not assuming they're losing. I actually think I think they win tonight because I feel like they 
they've got the momentum and they're just they're having a blast. But then Sunday come back playing in my own softball tournament because I'm an old man, like to relive the glory days. Um, then I'm actually doing Kimry's show, which we will record Sunday night at River Rat, and then it will be ready on Monday morning. Uh, fade in podcast with Eric Kimry. So it's going to be a busy, fun weekend. Oh, we got Miss Bell on here. Um, she is uh, very close to a certain Gamecock <laughs> with the same last name. What's up, Miss Bell? Hope you are doing well. Hopefully, we see your see your kid get some some PT here soon. Very talented kid, uh, Jaheim Bell. Shane, I, pl- I play shortstop. So, oh, look at you. That means I'm a light hitter, but good defensively. But <laughs> all right, y'all, we could sit here and BS with you forever. I think that's it. Busy weekend, but we will have complete coverage of everything going on, including Collins' wedding on Gamecock Central. And then we will see you all at some point, probably Monday afternoon, to talk about the Braves going to the World Series and the Gamecocks getting a big win over Auburn on Saturday. We will see you then. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.